To get us where we're going here this evening, let me just say, um, growing up, some of you perhaps had a good experience, a good church experience as a, as a child. Anybody? You don't have to show a hand. It's like, okay, uh, some of you. Uh, some of you had a bad church experience, and I won't make you raise your hands if you, unless you really want to. Uh, and some of you didn't really have any kind of church experience at all growing up. Um, I had a great church experience uh, throughout my childhood, and then um, especially youth group years, man, some very formative years for me. I remember going into my my freshman year, and we did this thing that looks feels like crazy looking back. It was like a six-week-long missions, summer missions experience, where we went to Mexico and Montana to the Indian Reservation, and we did a week of VBS in, in Utah, and did all this kind of stuff all over the place. Went to Lake Powell, just had fun, did all kinds of stuff. And uh, I remember they, they uh, part of the summer experience was we had to memorize the whole book of First Timothy. And so that was like, it was, it was hard and uh, it was challenging. And I remember we were on our way to, to Utah to do VBS and we stopped at the top of Douglas Pass and we were, they were quizzing us, you know, we got out, we were, we were doing like a little quizzing section on our, our passage of 1 Timothy, I think it was the first chapter. And uh, we were always doing practical jokes. And so we had had some like takeout lunch, like a styrofoam box, like takeout meal box. And um, I saw this cow pie sitting over here. And I thought, I don't know what I thought, actually, but I, uh, I was going into my freshman year. Uh, so anyway, I take the cow pie, I throw it in this box, and we throw it under the van seat where our youth pastor was driving in the van. If you're in high school, don't do this, okay? I'm not giving you things to do. I'm telling you things not to do. So anyway, um, two nights later, after it sat in the van... <laughs> We had this like picnic out at the lake, and I remember, I don't know what I was thinking again. I take this cow pie, and I hand it to my youth pastor, Rocky, thinking that would be a great joke, but the joke was on me, because I just gave him a cow pie in a styrofoam box, and he chased me down with it, and it didn't end well. Um, <laughs> but the summer experience was amazing, and I'm so grateful uh, for that experience and for all that that poured into my life. Now, some of you didn't have a great church experience as kids. I always laugh, my, my granddad, who's passed on, um, he was an altar boy and went to a Catholic school. And growing up, um, after communion as an altar boy, he'd sneak back behind the altar and finish off the leftover communion wine. <laughs> he would always say, he was like, I got enough church in the first five years of my life for the rest of my life. And he never went back, probably because of the wrath of the nuns after they found out about the, the communion wine. I don't know. So he didn't have a great experience. And some of you didn't. Some of you, you really just didn't have any church experience. You, you didn't grow up around God, church, and the Bible. Now, that was kind of my dad's situation, right? I mean, he was just out in the desert growing up. He, he didn't really uh, like ever go to church. And so let me ask you a question. Regardless of your church experience, you probably have an idea about what spiritual maturity might mean. And if that, no matter what your church experience is, let me just ask you, what, uh, just take a second and think about it. What is your idea? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? You probably have an idea. And it's probably really tied to whatever your experience as church experience growing up or lack of church experience was. 
Maybe if you grew up in a traditional church or you weren't really connected to church growing up, your idea of spiritual maturity was kind of just being a good person. Kind of a list of do's and don'ts and checking off some boxes. Maybe you weren't really sure how it all worked. Uh, Maybe you thought it was something like Santa's naughty or nice list. And your, your just goal was to get on the nice side, right? Or maybe if you were somewhat like affiliated with church, like it was about church attendance or, you know, giving a certain amount or being a good person, whatever that means to you. Now, maybe you grew up in a, in a church that really emphasized um, emotional experience, like feeling God's presence. I, I love that part of church, honestly. Like that last song we just sang, one of my old favorites. And I love just feeling the presence of God. And maybe that, like growing up, it was all about experiencing like feelings, very feelings oriented. And so your kind of idea around spiritual maturity has a lot to do with experiencing God or maybe experiencing his power in different areas of your life. And it was very feelings oriented growing up. Or maybe you grew up in a church like me that was like super serious about knowing the Bible. And as interestingly enough, I think as great of a church experience as I had growing up, I think I might have personally developed a flawed understanding of what real spiritual maturity looks like. Not because of any bad teaching. No, it was great teaching. And I'm so thankful for amazing leaders who took the Bible very seriously. But because we place such an emphasis on knowledge, we place such an emphasis on what do you know? For me, it was very easy to get the impression that spiritual maturity was all about, like, what I know and how disciplined I am in my, you know, reading the Bible. Maybe you grew up like that, too. And when it comes to spiritual maturity, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you have a desire to grow into a spiritually mature follower of him and to live your life in a way that pleases him. And for some of you, maybe that's not even really on your radar. You're just here kind of checking out God, church, and the Bible. And uh, we're just so glad you're here. Keep investigating him. Keep coming. Get your questions answered. We're we're glad you're here. But in this passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to make a powerful statement about what a spiritually mature follower of Jesus looks like. There's going to be a statement in here, actually, that is a distinctive when it comes to a person who is a a mature follower, one of his followers and a mature follower of Jesus. And I think it may be a little bit different than you might expect and maybe a little bit different than, than what you grew up thinking. And so if you have your Bibles, once you turn on over to John chapter 13, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And just to catch you up, if you missed last week, uh, where we left off in, in the account of Jesus' life, we're at the very, like the last night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's in the upper room. He had just taken up in this dramatic event, he'd taken up a basin and a towel and took off his outer garment, wrapped it, wrapped it a towel around his waist and began to wash the feet of his disciples going around in a circle. Of course, Peter's like, no, not going to happen, right? It was, it's a great, go back and read the rest of the chapter. It's amazing if you missed. And so we're, we're right up there. Then we see this, this incredibly dramatic moment as Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me and identifies Judas and Judas heads out into the night. The darkness has overcome him. 
And so Jesus now, it's almost like Jesus kicks into, he knows my time is short, my time, and I, I have things I have to communicate to my disciples. And so in verse 31, it says this, when, when he, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. That's a lot of glory in those two verses, isn't it? Now, here's the crazy thing, is, is what Jesus is speaking about is, is what's about ready to happen through his death and resurrection. He has glorified God throughout his life. Remember um, last chapter, the audible voice of God speaking, you've glorified it, and you're going to glorify it again, right? As the Father says, basically gives Jesus a giant attaboy, audible voice speaks from heaven. Now, Jesus, as he's talking about this, what's about ready to happen next, says it's, it's like the upside down kingdom we talk about so frequently here, that what seems like a great defeat, what seems, we think of glory and we think of what? Power, influence, fame. And Jesus says, actually, it's as I go to the cross, and take on the sins of the world on my shoulders and, and die and give my life for humanity that they may have life. That's, what, that's where true glory is seen. And God's going to be glorified in this. And so it's almost like Jesus is overwhelmed as he makes this statement. He goes on, he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you where I am going, you cannot come. My children is a common way that a rabbi would, would uh, address his disciples. It's a term of endearment. And Jesus says, hey, just like I told the Jews, speaking of like the Jewish leaders, speaking of the Judeans, those in the area, where I'm, I'm about ready to go away, where I'm going, you can't come. And Jesus has been giving them kind of this heads up all along, and now he speaks it plainly. In, in a little while, I am going somewhere, and, and you're not going to be able to come there. And this is, put yourself in this situation. This is so traumatic for the disciples. They had given three years to Jesus. They had followed him for three years, and they had an idea in their minds what this looked like. And, and they believed Jesus is the Messiah, and they believed that means he's going to become a great, ruling king, and they're going to be really important because they're right next to him. And now he's talking about going away. A little while ago, he talked about being lifted up. He keeps talking about his death. They don't get it. It's so hard. It's so traumatic. And they're thinking, where are you going, Jesus? Where are you going? I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where you just got like <laughs> blindsided. Maybe, um, I, I remember one time, like, I was dating this girl out in California. It was a very short relationship, right? And, but I really liked her. And before I knew it, she was breaking up with me. Um, and it was so sad. I'm fine now. I'm glad. Okay. It all worked out well. <laughs> but you, you, just in that moment, it was like, what's happening, Right? And then they go on talking, talking, and your mind just is sitting here reeling. And this is what's happening with the disciples right now as Jesus just says, um, he says, I'm going away. And they're like, what? You're going away? You, you can't go away. And Jesus goes on. See, see, we know the rest of the story, don't we? 
That's why when you're reading scripture, you got to like put yourself in sometimes the emotion of what's happening because we know, oh yeah, this is leading up. He's speaking of its death and resurrection and it's all going to be good. They don't know that yet, which is the way that faith usually is when we walk through things. We don't see the end of the story. God does. And he says, oh, just wait, just wait. But in this moment, difficult, hard, they don't get it. And he goes on and he says this, a new commandment A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? It's like, what? Where are you going, Jesus? See, Simon, like Jesus is talking, 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 over his head, right? Where are you going, Jesus? And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. He didn't get this at the time. Jesus would reiterate this to him at the very end of the book of John. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Like, wherever you go, I'm there. I don't care. I'll give my life. Verse 38, then Jesus answered, will you really Lay down your life for me. Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, that's the end of chapter 13. Did you see it? Did you catch it? See, here's what I'm guessing about most of you. You, you grew up in church. Most of you, not all of you. I know some of you didn't, but a lot of you did. And see, I think just like Peter in the drama of this whole thing, the drama of this whole story, like Jesus, hey, I'm going away. You're God, you can't go away. Oh, no, he misses it. All the disciples, they miss it. Jesus laid down a incredibly vital, distinctive of a spiritually mature follower of him. And it just went whoop. And I think for so many of us, we're the same way. Because we grew up in church. We've heard it. And we can read through stuff like this and lose the impact of it. It can just completely be missed. So I want to I throw up a verse here that I purposely skimmed over and see if you caught it. Okay. It's back in verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. Peter was like, yeah, 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 yeah. A new command I give you. Love one another. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Now, just pause there. Pause there. Because I think so many times in my life, maybe I would have answered this question by this. Everyone knows, would know you were my disciples a little bit differently. Maybe because of the way I was raised, it would be like because of um, church attendance. Right? I go to church. Or because of Bible knowledge. Oh, man, I know the Bible. In fact, anybody remember sword drills? This is like a, such a nerdy church thing. Anybody? Come on, show your hands. Just a few of us. So sword drills were this thing where somebody would give a reference, like uh, third Hezekiah four five. That was not really a book. I'm just testing you. 
Some of you are looking it up right now. And so we didn't have an app on our phone where you just like, you know, search. And so, um, so we'd go, whoop, 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 whoop. and whoever gets there first in the Bible, you know, would jump up and hold their Bible up and you would win if you were the first one. You'd read it. Uh, I was really good at sword drills. I was kind of nerdy. I know. You can tell. I know. So for, for, for me, maybe it would have been like by this, by the fact that, man, I know the Bible. I can quote all 66 books backwards. Not really. I can't do that. Never could. <laughs> maybe it was like, man, I, 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 I give. Even like I'm a good person. Depending on your experience growing up, I bet if you had to fill in the blank here, by this will everyone know you're my disciples, you would fill this in perhaps differently than what Jesus just did. He says what? By this you will know that everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. And like we see with Peter here, man, Peter just like Jesus lays this this is, this is what Jesus just said. If you, if you missed it, you need to tune in because <laughs> you've heard it before. Oh, yeah, the loved one. Yeah, I know this one. Come on, get on to something deep. Come on. No, no, no. This is deep. Jesus just laid down a distinctive, the distinctive that identifies people as his followers. And we miss it so many times. And I think we miss it for the same reason that Peter missed it. See, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. A new commandment. But you're like, well, wait, isn't that old? Because it doesn't feel new to me. I've heard this one all the time growing up. Love God, love others. I know that one. Greatest two commandments. You know, in fact, Peter, I think, had heard this one. Because Jesus, even when Jesus, you remember the, the story of the religious guy that comes up and is like, Jesus, I got a question for you. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And you know it. And everybody's like, oh, wow, bravo. But, but they had known this. I mean, that, Jesus is quoting Leviticus, a prayer they prayed so often, and Jesus adapts it, the Shema. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. All the way back in Deuteronomy. That was Deuteronomy 6. I know that. The Shema. But then also, in Leviticus, there's love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, one of the famous uh, rabbis of the day, a Rabbi Hillel, um, somebody asked him, hey, if you had to boil the whole, like if you had to, to quote the whole Torah to somebody standing on one leg, could you do it? He goes, yeah. I can't stand on one leg very well. And he said, love your neighbor or don't do something to someone else, basically the golden rule, that's loathsome to you. Don't do some, something to someone else that's loathsome to you. The rest of it is commentary. And so for Peter, it's like, oh, yeah, love, love, love. I've heard that one before. And I think for so many times for us, it's like, man, no, I, the mark of spiritual maturity I know so much. I have these powerful spiritual experiences. I'm such a good person. All these things. And Jesus says, no, pay attention to this. Because this is, 
This is the stuff that Jesus wanted them to get, this next few chapters. This is called Jesus' farewell discourse. Like, this is what the stuff that was burning on Jesus' heart for his followers to get right before he goes to the cross. And, and then it rises, and, and uh, they see him just, you know, here and there, and then he ascends to the Father. This is the stuff. Listen up. If you want to be a spiritually mature follower of Jesus, listen up as we go through most of the rest of the fall over these next few chapters, because Jesus is going to download to us what he sees as the most critical things for us to understand as followers of him. And one of the first things he gets to is, hey, pay attention to this, a new command. This will be a distinctive of a spiritually mature follower of mine. Love one another. Love one another. Now, this struck John, the, the author of the Gospel of John, the Apostle. Remember, if you were here last week, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And people wonder, like, why did he refer to himself as that? And I think it's because um, he wasn't always, later in his life, he becomes known as the Apostle of Love. But he wasn't always like that. For, for a lot of his life, life um, in fact, James and John, they are known as the Sons of Thunder. I think it described their personality. And in fact, at one point, these guys in this Samaritan village kind of tick them off by not being super nice and welcoming him. And they're like, Jesus, can we call down fire on that village? And Jesus is like, oh, um, <laughs> you don't get it. And I think that, that somehow um, throughout this, God did such a profound work in John's heart and transformed his, his life that by the end of his life, he was completely different. In fact, um, John, imagine the early church, because John is the, the oldest remaining disciple of Jesus that was living. They tried to kill him. They threw him in a boiling cauldron of oil, and he didn't die. Yeah, somebody say, like, martyrdom sounds a little better probably, right? Um, but he didn't die. And because of that, it freaked them out, so they just exiled him to this island called Patmos, which is where the revelation um, where he had the revelation of Jesus, the revelation, the last book in the Bible, and he records it. And then later in life, it said he was released, and, and church history and tradition teaches us that like people were super excited to hear him come speak. I mean, can you imagine? It, 40, probably um, 40, maybe even 50 years after Jesus' um, resurrection, and here's, here's like the last disciple that spent three years with him every moment. The one that Jesus loved, like Jesus loved John so much. And they were like, man, this is going to be profound. The dude wrote Revelation. Maybe he'll tell us what the beasts are about and all the weird like things. And, and church tradition tells us that he would come into congregation after congregation at the very end of his life. And they would carry him in because he could barely walk and he'd stand to his feet and he'd look out. And you're ready for something deep and profound. And he would go, little children, just like his master Jesus said, little children, love one another. And then he'd sit down. A one-sentence sermon. It's how powerfully this impacted him. As he sat at his master's feet, little children, love one another. It, it so impacted him that 
there's three little letters he wrote, kind of right before you get to Revelation. First, second, third John. Do you know he, he mentions love 31 times in those three short little letters? That's how much it impacted him. See, John knew there was, some, there was something about what Jesus said here. That, that if the community of faith could get this, like if we really lived this out in our lives, it would be so magnetic as people saw the way that relationships worked among followers of Jesus and how different they were than anywhere else in the world. And there was such a genuine love for each other and support for each other and care for each other. John says, if we, if we could just get that, man, it would, it would be magnetic. It would change the world. I think the same thing is still true today. And so Jesus says, a new command I give you. And I think Peter's going, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. Just like so often, it's like, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. I've heard this one before. It's not really new. But see, what was so new about this, I mean, thousands of years, they knew, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Thousands of years before this, though, Jesus is going to, he puts something different on it. See, John, writing in one of his letters, tells us, what was so new and so unique about this love. He, he says this in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. So if love's so important, like Jesus said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And he goes on. I mean, the whole book of 1 John really talks about so much of how this works itself out in our lives goes on like that means a brother or sister like in need we care for them we don't just ignore it we care for them this is one of the was one of the most magnetic things about the early church in the first and second centuries when people were literally being thrown to lions and persecuted the church was multiplying it was and a large part of that was because of the way that people loved each other because of how seriously they took this command of Jesus and how that worked itself out in, the, in their lives. It's a theme all throughout the New Testament. Love. In fact, this is a little Greek word, agape or agapos. There's multiple Greek words for love. And there's something about this one that talks about this self-sacrificing kind of love. And what's so powerful about it, like, Paul lays out the characteristics of what love is and what love is not. And, and, and what love is not is like Woodstock version of love. No, love isn't free. It's very costly. Love isn't just everybody come together and, and everything is just fine. And, and it, just isn't, it isn't just this emotional thing, right? It's not just emotion. It's not physical Lust, that's not what he's talking about. It's not the way that our culture defines it as blind acceptance of anything and everything. And if I, and if I don't affirm everything, um, I don't love you. No, no, no. Read through the New Testament. Read through Jesus' words. He, he has some very pointed things to say about how people live their lives in relationship to God and each other. And it's not like... It's not like the squishy thing of anything goes and I just love you. Let's, let's just get together and let's hug it out and everything's good. Because when we talk about love, I think a lot of times that's how we think about love. 
But Paul defines love in one of the most famous passages that if you're married, you probably had this read at your wedding. And again, it's one of these, because it's read at every wedding and, and we've heard it so often, we, the, we don't let it impact us. But he's got a list of what love is, what love does. And first he talks about what love is not and what love does not do. And this is that. Love is not proud. It is not self-seeking. Thinking, just thinking about what's the bottom line for me in this relationship. What's the bottom line for me? How do I get the most out of this? It isn't easily angered. It, it does not envy it does not dishonor others. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It's not just anything goes. No, instead, here's what love is. Here's what love does. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. Now, how do you feel like, how do you feel like you're doing when you read a list like that? I know for me, it's like, ooh. Because all of a sudden, when we talk about loving each other, and specifically in this command of Jesus, he's talking about the community of believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we know we're called to love those outside the church. I mean, he says, love your enemies. Um, he tells uh, the good Samaritan, one of the guys, remember, love your neighbor. The guy's been studying, doing his homework. What's the, great, what's the greatest commandment? Guy's like, um, let's see, I heard this one. <laughs> Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus is like, ding, ding, ding. But then he's like, wants to justify himself. But who's my neighbor? And Jesus launches off telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And the whole point of that, I mean, it starts like a joke. There's a pastor, a priest, and a rabbi walking down the road. But the whole point of that is the villain, the Samaritan, the one in their culture that was despised, becomes the hero. Who was his neighbor? The one that never you would have never thought, right? So we know we're to love those outside. But in this command, Jesus is speaking to those closest. He's speaking about how we treat those that are his other followers. We know this is a really, really big deal to Jesus. And when I read that list, it's like, man, where, this, where the rubber meets the road on this is the people closest to you in your lives. And you know what? A lot of times those are the people that it's hardest to love, isn't it? Because when it's just people out there, when it's like the Samaritan and now it's like a big, you know, we, we always put out there, out there, right? But it's, it's in your interpersonal relationships. It's in community when we're really doing life together. You know, most of the New Testament is meant to be lived out in the framework of one another. That's, that's a term that's used over and over. In fact, one of our values is one anothering, that we want to create environments where, where real relationship happens, that we want some of your best friends to be people that you go to church with, that we want to create environments where deep relationship can happen 
And you know what? A lot of times that's when it gets, that's when the rubber meets the road. Because it becomes really easy to have a surface sort of love for people when all you're doing is like saying hi and bye in the door at church and, and you can put on a smiley face when on your way in you're screaming at each other. But as you begin to go in community, I mean, that's family, right? It happens. Yeah, I know, it happens. This is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to spiritual maturities. How is it working itself out in your life? You know, there's a phrase I used to hear frequently in churches like ours that take the Bible very seriously. I mean, we're very serious about teaching scriptures here. Um, we have a value, biblically serious, responsive to the Holy Spirit. We're very serious about teaching scripture. But there's a phrase that you often hear, and people say, I, I just want, need more depth. And usually what we mean by that is we need to go deeper because we've heard so many things, so we want to learn more nerdy things. Not always. But a lot of times, we tend to think of something deep as what we know as equaling spiritual maturity, spiritual depth, equaling the intake of more knowledge. And more knowledge is good. I'm not saying it's bad. Don't misunderstand me. But too many times, we equate that with spiritual maturity. The bigger question is, what are you doing with what you know? That's a much bigger indicator. And let me tell you one of the, the deepest verses in all of the scripture. You ready for it? Here, here you go. Um, men, listen up. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's deep. Why? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't happen just in the knowing, does it? It happens in the doing. It happens as that works itself out in my life. It's not easy, always. Not always something I do well. Much easier for me to live for myself than to live for another. Which is where Jesus says, hey, um, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Die to your own desires. This is where love works itself out. In Philemon, this amazing book that Paul writes, one little chapter, he sends this slave back to his master. Um, and I know that's hard in our culture, but trust me, it's revolutionary 2,000 years ago because he sends him back with the instruction of, hey, he came back, because you could get killed for running away in this culture. Um, he came back, but he's your brother all of a sudden, completely redefines the relationship. How does that work out? See, even for some of you, you may have come from an, a background that just emphasized experiences to the extreme. I mean, powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit, maybe the supernatural. It's amazing. We believe that God shows up. He moves in powerful ways. I love feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit when we, when we worship together. Goosebumps. But guess what? You can be all about spiritual experiences and miss spiritual maturity. Paul puts it this way, right before the one we usually like to read at the weddings. He says this, If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I like doing this. Tell me if this is annoying. Yeah, just a little bit. You're out there. It's annoying to me. I'm up here. Clang, clang. He says, if, if, if I don't have love, I can have all the spiritual experiences that I want to claim to have. And it's like somebody standing over there banging on a cymbal. I, kn- I know my, my kid likes, uh, like, he's liking some hip-hop music, right? So he's got some Christian rap and whatever that he listens to. And he likes turning the bass all the way up. And my, and my wife and I are just so annoyed. And I'm like, I'm getting so old because I remember being his age and liking the same music and that loud with the bass cranked. And now I'm just like, turn it off. Anyway. <laughs> and Paul says, that's what it's like. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, what? I am nothing. Spiritual maturity, Fail. Remember when they used to give out F grades? Fail. <laughs> if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna suffer for Jesus. That I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. See, it's not about the, the spiritual experience. You can look at somebody with that. That's not a characteristic of, of I mean. That's not how you're graded on spiritual maturity. You can, you know, know the books of the Bible like front and back and be able to explain intricate details of predestination and Arminianism and present your view and all that. And you know what? Those Actually, I value knowledge. I mean, if you've been coming for any length of time, you know that, right? I hope you learn something every week. We love God with our minds, not not just our emotions. Part of that is you do your best to study and to learn. Knowing scripture is how you keep your path correct before the Lord, right? How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping according to your word? Psalm 119, go read it. It's all about the scriptures, applying it to our lives. I'm all about it, right? But if you read through the New Testament, here's what you can't miss. And if you take Jesus' commands seriously and you want to be a spiritually mature follower of Jesus, And even if we have the smartest church in the world, the most biblically accurate church in the world, but it doesn't translate into how we live our lives when it comes to loving each other, we fail. We fail. It's nothing. And so I find it so interesting that Peter in this, you know, back in verse 36, he's just like, Lord, where are you going? Like, it just went over his head. I think for so many times for us, it's like, yeah, but what about, you know, I mean, he was like, where are you going, Lord? <laughs> Probably the next question, when are you coming back? And just like John, they're like, hey, cool, he's going to tell us about the beast and the weird flying hornet things um, and all that crazy stuff. And he's like, love one another. This is what I really want you to get. Love one another. And it's not that study isn't good, that we don't dig deep on issues. But when it comes to being deep, the deepest thing you can do in your life is to love others like Christ calls us to. You know, the number one group that opposed Jesus in the New Testament and eventually killed him were the smartest guys in the community. 
important to remember. They knew the Bible more than anyone else. In fact, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you've got life. But they speak about me and you refuse to come to me. And what I find so interesting is, as that chapter closes in, in the midst of all this drama and Peter goes, not me, Lord. I'm with you. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus goes, buddy, you're not even going to make it through the night. I love it because in the next verse, he's like, but don't let your hearts be troubled. And when we get to chapter 14, why? Because he's coming again and he's going to prepare a place for us. But I love it when he looks at Peter with compassion in his eyes and like, really? You're really going to lay down your life for me? And the heart of what I see when it comes to this scripture in this passage is this. Um, the way Jesus calls us to love, you can't do it on your own. See, because at the heart of it is laying down your life for others. When it comes to really loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, for her, when it comes to that whole list of love's like, attributes in, in, first, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you can't do that on your own. And Jesus, as he looks at Peter, he's like, you got you got good intentions, but you can't do that on your own, and I know it. But you know what? Peter will go on to give his life for Jesus after he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the message of the New Testament is the way that you can love the way you're called to love is only when you walk with the Holy Spirit. It's the message of Galatians 5. What is the first in the list of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit grows naturally, right? Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, kind of the category heading. And all the others are what? Attributes that flow from that. And you know what? It's fruit. It's an outworking of his Spirit in our lives. And Jesus is going to go on in the coming ch chapters to promise his Holy Spirit. And see, the thing as a follower of Jesus, I mean, you can share this and it's just like, okay, I feel guilty now. That's not the heart. Just like when Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you. I don't think Jesus' heart is like shame, is it? No, in fact, we come down a little while later at the end of the book and Jesus restores Peter even after he totally blows it, denies him three times. The point is you can't, you need to walk with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit in order to live your life the way God's calling you to live it. This kind of love doesn't come naturally. It comes through his power working in and through our lives. Let me just ask you a question as we close. Is your knowledge hiding a lack of love in your life? Are you so like caught up in, in learning more, always taking in, that it's distracted you and almost becomes something that's allowed you to ignore this area over here that Jesus says is a key distinctive of spiritual growth. You know, at the end of the day, spiritual maturity isn't as much about what you know as it is about how well you love. How well do you love others? Are you walking in step with the Holy Spirit? If I ask people, 
closest to you in your life? What would they say? So I just invite you to stand today. And here's what I want you to do. Just ask yourself this question. Is your knowledge hiding a lack of love? Is there, is there an area of your life where you know, oh, yeah, I've been doing all, you know, going to the Bible studies and I've been doing all that stuff and learning more and more. Um, but at the end of my, the day, I've been ignoring this right in front of me. Is there a relationship you need to make right? Is there an area? And, and here's what I'm asking you to do is, I'm just going to pray for you as we close. That, that, that you, like that passage in Galatians where he says, walk with the Spirit. Paul says this interesting thing. Walk in step with the Spirit. And it's almost like we just get out of step with the Spirit in our lives. And we're, before we know it, we're over here on our own. And these kind of moments are simple opportunities. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. If there's an area in your life where you know, man, this week, this month, this year, I've gotten out of step with the Holy Spirit. Would you just tell them that in the quietness of your heart right now? And Lord, as I think of my friends here, I just ask that you would recenter us, that we would realign our lives with your Holy Spirit. That as we wait on you, you would just come and realign us because we know that's the only way we live this way. Is when, you're, when your power flows through us producing fruit in our lives. And so, Lord, for that person right here, right now, that needs to get back in step with your Holy Spirit, pray they would do that. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.